sing. Sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. Ephesians 5, 19. Our good and our holy God, we thank you for this day, this day that you have given us to worship you, this day that you have given us to celebrate your goodness and your grace, a day to recall the hope of the resurrection. God, we thank you for the opportunity to sing our songs to you. We thank you for a chance to give and to greet one another, to pray, to hear from your word. Lord, now as we open it together, we ask you to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us tender hearts that would receive your word like a seed planted in, in rich soil. Give us feet that will walk quickly to do your will. Lord, give us hands that are strong for service, that our work in this world would be like your very own. And God, God, we pray that a word of life and hope, a gospel word, would be found on our lips. Our good and our holy God, this is our prayer in the strong name of Jesus. And we pray together saying, Amen and Amen. Please be seated. Sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. Uh, this is our next verse in our summertime coffee cup series. I hope this series has been an encouragement to you. Uh, if it has, please go online and share that podcast with your friends. Uh, we want to share these messages throughout the summer. Uh, but this is our newest one. Sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. I've seen this uh, on t-shirts. I've seen this cross-stitched. Uh, but I'll be honest with you. I went this week and I Google searched to see if I could find it on a coffee cup. Uh, because we live in a real-time fact-checking world. And, I, I, you know, I, some of you just get hung up on these little trivialities. So I spent a lot of time looking for this on a coffee cup. Uh, and you know what I found? is not only does this land on coffee cups, but this is a popular tattoo pattern, uh, this verse. Uh, this is a popular tattoo pattern. Uh, they, ha they have even created sort of an icon. It's a big heart with a base, a base clef in there, right there. It's a, it's a tattoo uh, and what I learned was that, you know, there, there are some churches where you have to have a tattooed worship leader now, you know. Uh, they wear skinny jeans and they have to have tattoos. I tried on skinny jeans one time and I looked like the capital letter B. Uh, it, it, was, it was amazing. It was amazing. But there are whole churches out there. You, you can't get the job if you're not wearing those skinny jeans and you have a, a, you know, a tattoo. And so some of them want to be safe in their tattooing. Uh, and so they've gone to the heart and the base, the base clef there. And this passage of Scripture. Somebody asked me, Matt, do you have a hipster leading worship? I said, we got an old hippie uh, leading, leading worship. Uh, he, he, I said, he's got the van and everything. I said, I said, David, can I get a ride to the meeting? He said, no problem, man. Let's go. And so, so that's where we're going. But yes, this is a cross-stitch coffee cup tattoo verse. Next summer's series, Tattoo Verses. Sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. The melody is that part of the song that we hum. That we hum. It's that part of the song that we whistle. It's that part of the song that we get stuck in our head you ever leave church and you've just got a song stuck in your head and it's just there till Tuesday? Or maybe you hear it on the radio. It's that part that just rattles around on the, on the inside of us. And this passage of Scripture, Paul, that, that rugged old missionary, that snake-bit, scarred-up, beat-around missionary, writes to this church in Ephesus and he says, Sing 
and make melody in your heart to God. And y'all, this is not just about music. This is far more than just about music. Uh, I, I was raised in an environment of, of hard edge construction guys. My grandfather was in the choir, but he did it because my grandmother made him do it. Uh, and a choir practice would run along a little while. He'd get his buddy Red McKinney to join him in song going, it's time to go home now. Uh, and they'd leave. If a music minister sang the third verse of a song, which he thought no Baptist should ever have to do, He'd just sit it out and protest, man. Uh, and so, I mean, I, I, you know, as far as music goes, uh, that's the kind of world I grew up in. And, and this, this verse is, is about music, but it's about more than music. It's about the emblematic power of music in our life lived before God. It's about the little things being given over to the Lord as acts of devotion and worship and life. For us to understand how to do this coffee cup verse. We need it in its immediate context, which begins in chapter 5, verse 15, and the larger context of the whole letter of Ephesians. So for just a few moments this morning, let's put this ruby in the ring yet again, uh, beginning in verse 15. Be careful then how you live or how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. These sentences... They help us understand how to live our life before God in a melodious kind of way, uh, in a way that just rattles around the goodness of God in our heart, as, as a, a life as an act of worship and devotion, uh, a life that encourages other people. Uh, this passage of Scripture calls us to two realities. I would frame them like this. If you're a note taker, you pull out that number two lead and you scribble these down. These sentences help us to understand two realities. One, uh, I would characterize as the principle of the path. And second, the promise of the presence. For us to sing our lives to God, we have to understand these two realities. First, the principle of the path. Verse 15 said, you know, uh, be careful how you live. Uh, very literally, it says, look carefully how you walk. The path we're on determines our destination. Uh, Andy Stanley wrote a whole book about that, uh, about it's not what we want to do, it's not our, our motives or our desires, it's the path we walk that determines where we go. If I go out here uh, and I head north toward Dallas, I could want to end up in Austin with all of my heart. I could desire to live, uh, get to get to Austin. But if I kept driving toward Dallas, where am I going to get? I'm going to get to Dallas, right? And so there's this principle of the path. You know, you can say one thing, you can desire one thing, you can plan one thing, you can talk about one thing, but the steps we take lead us to where we're, where we're going to go. Uh, and he says, be very careful how you walk. Think about the steps you take. Think about the this follows this, follows this, follows this, follows this. Now, sometimes we want God to give us a 50-year plan. We want God to show us where we're going to be uh, when we're at the ripe old age of 94 or whatever. 
And God just laughs at us. He just, oh, you couldn't handle it if I told you. And so we have to follow the light that he gives us, one little step at a time, the principle of the path. We have to walk that way. And the entire book of of Ephesians picks up on that theme again and again and again and again and again. And to learn how to sing, we have to first learn how to walk. Now, I probably sang before I walked as a child, but as Christians, we have to learn how to walk before we learn uh, how to sing. Here are a couple of verses to keep in mind. You want to jot these down. The first one is Ephesians 4.1. In Ephesians 4.1, it calls us to walk worthily of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul had been laying out the beauty and the power of the gospel And the gospel is God has done, not you do. It's about God's rich blessings and life. It's about Christ coming to give us life and to set us free from the law of sin and death. It's all this beautiful, beautiful stuff about God coming and doing for us what we could never in a million years do for ourselves. And here, chapter 4, verse 1, in light of that, Paul calls us to walk worthily of of this gospel. We never pay God back for the gospel. We can't do that. But what we can do is we can walk in a way that looks like we're grateful people, that we're people of gratitude. Uh, the, The doctrine of sanctification has been called the doctrine of gratitude, where we live our life before God in a way that expresses our great delight and being loved by him with an everlasting love. Paul said, be careful how you walk. And here he says, walk worthily of the gospel. You keep going down in chapter 4, you get to verse 17. It says, walk no longer as the Gentiles do. Like, now Matt, you're confusing me my whole blame life. They've told me I was a Gentile. Of course. This language is is the language of somebody that is disconnected from God in a committed covenant kind of way. The language of Gentile is shorthand for somebody who's winging life on their own with no concern for God. You say, well, pastor, that's not me. That's not me. When I was in the seventh grade, I signed a card in vacation Bible school. I signed up. I'm, I'm in. So many of us. Some of us do this all the time, and some of us do this occasionally. But almost all of us, at some point within our year, will live as absolute practical atheists. I mean, we believe in a God. We believe a creator God. We believe in a savior God. We believe in God. But when it comes to our living, and it comes to our decision-making, and it comes to the days of our life, when it comes to the steps we take, We live as if we do not believe. We live as if it simply does not matter. And Paul says, don't walk like that anymore. Don't walk through the world as if God is not God. Don't walk like the Gentiles do. Walk worthily of the gospel, walk in a careful way, making the use of your days and the use of your time because the days are are crazy. You ever watch the news, read the paper, listen to people, and you just go, this world's gone crazy. 
You ever felt like that? Have you felt like that this week? Have you felt like that this morning? 2,000 years ago, Paul took a pen in his hand and he said, be careful how you live because it's gone crazy. The time is evil. Make the best use of it. So walk uh, worthily. Don't walk as the Gentiles do. All right, go to chapter 5, verse 1. Be therefore imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love even as Christ also loved you. Remember, we're learning the principle of the path. We're learning how to walk. It says, you are beloved children of God. You imitate your Father. You know how I learned how to cut grass? Watching my daddy. You know how I learned how to throw a ball? Watching my daddy. You know how I learned how to cuss when I hit my thumb with a hammer? <laughs> Watching my daddy. You know how I learned to say, man, I shouldn't have said that. A real man doesn't say that. Watching my daddy. I tried to imitate him. I tried to imitate him. And here's Paul saying, you are the beloved children of God. Imitate your Father. Do what you know God has done. Do what you know God is doing. And these are people that had been recipients of gospel grace. They knew the depths and the riches of God's love. They hadn't exhausted that because you can't. Brendan Manning used to talk about trying to capture the love of God. He says it's like trying to, trying to capture a hurricane in a shrimp net. I mean, you can't do it, but you can get, you can get a taste of it. You, you can have crumbs from that table, that banqueting table, and it lets you know that there's something even more wonderful coming. We have a sense, we have a deposit in our heart of, of the, the aliveness of God because of His grace. He says, because you are loved and you know that you imitate your father and walk in love and he says how even has christ loved you now if you go back to the gospel message what was christ's love like was it was it sacramental uh was it saccharine sweet was it on and off like tap water was it temperamental was it you do this i'll do that was was it transactional what was his love like Jesus, Jesus embodied the heartbeat of God for the world. He tabernacled among us. He walked among us. He touched our oozing leprous flesh. He bathed our dirty, nasty feet. He laughed with us. He wept over us. He wept with us. Uh, he danced at our parties. And we killed him. And as we were doing it, he cried, Hey, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. God, after he died, God raised him from the dead. And he gathered his people together. Instead of showing up at the house at Pontius Pilate, knocking on the door and saying, Hey, sport, here I am. He gathered up that broken crowd of his those butchers and bakers and candlestick makers, those tax collectors, yes, there was one in the original group, preachers, fishermen, carpenters, he gathered them up, the mothers, the sisters, 
those benefactors that walked with him, the ones that had had devils cast out of them, he gathered them up. He gathered them up. And he said, you wait right here. And God will clothe you with his grace and power. And you'll go out and you'll turn the world upside down with this love that I have bodied forth in this world. He loved us. Deeply and richly and fully, he loved us and he continues to love us. And the scripture calls us to walk our life in the light of that love. The principle of the path. We have to learn how to walk before we learn how to sing. And how do we walk? We walk in love. You keep going in Ephesians, and there's more about this, this walking. Uh, we learn, for instance, uh, beginning way back up in verse 8 uh, in, in chapter 5. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. Walk in the children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in the secret But everything is exposed by the light. It becomes visible, and everything that is illumined becomes a light. This is why it said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Here Paul writes to him, he says, you walk as children of the light. You walk in the light. We sang this morning about how the darkness is light to God, and God can find us in our darkness and be light in the midst of our darkness. And here we're called to step out of the darkness and to walk in the light, the light that is God. Have you ever fumbled around in the dark? Have you ever broken a pinky toe doing that? Absolutely. We have all stubbed a toe in the darkness. We know what that's like. We, we know how out of control you are and how dangerous it is to walk in the darkness. When we give the last song today, when we say the last prayer, my family's loading up in the, in the family car. We're heading to West Texas to the Paisana Baptist encampment. You know, we have one of those Toyota Highlanders that we ain't got no room for boring, just like the commercial goes. I mean, we've got everything in the kitchen sink and bikes strapped on with duct tape. We're ready to roll. This is our second year at Paisana. Last year was our first year, and we had a great time. But the first night at Paisana was an absolute train wreck. Absolute train wreck. Paisana is this kind of place where everybody's got these little houses, and people have been going there for like five generations. And the only new people are the preachers and the guys who lead music. But the guy who led music has been there for 30 years or some such. So really the only new person last year at Paisana, and there's a thousand people in the open air tabernacle, the only new people, the Snowden family. Okay, at night they separate the adults and the children. The kids all go to a little worship area and the adults all go and worship in this big tabernacle. Guess what? There's a massive pile of kids who know exactly what to do. Last year there were two kids who had no clue what to do. There was a group of people working with kids who knew exactly what to do with a bunch of kids who knew exactly what to do, and a group of people who knew absolutely nothing how to deal with kids who knew nothing what to do. You following me on this? And so my kids head off to the week. We take them there. We drop them off like you do, right? Our church, you drop them off. They take down. Are they allergic to peanuts? None of that. They said, all right, that's great. Snowden kids are here. Go over there and play. It was fantastic. So we drop them off. I go. We preach. Things are, we go back to pick up the kids after the service. 
We can't find them. All the other kids are riding around on bikes. They're home. They're eating watermelon. They're eating ice cream. You seen Wes and Molly? Oh, yeah, they're cute. They're about this tall. I, I, said, I said, no. I mean, like, where are they now? Well, normally the kids just ride on back to their house after it's over. I'm not even sure my kids know they have a house here. And so we spent about an hour and a half looking for the kids. We found them. Uh, they were bleeding from every pore of their body. No, they weren't bleeding. Uh, there was a little blood on a, on a left knee, but it wasn't that big of a deal. But there were tears, lots and lots of tears and lots and lots of anger. Uh, and my children, when I found them, they looked at me like, you brought me to the Chihuahua Desert to kill me. <laughs> I mean, it was something. And, uh, and we had to get a game plan down. And the game plan... Uh, they, they took pity on us. They found us some old bikes for them to ride, and they found us flashlights. You have to have flashlights. Because what happened? They got lost in the dark in the Davis Mountains. And they were scared, and they couldn't find their way. And they were like, I never want to come back here, Daddy. Why did you bring us out here? Couldn't we have gone to the beach? Don't people want you to preach at nice places? <laughs> Why did you bring us here? They never wanted to come back. But we got them flashlights. And they learned the ropes. When we left, oh, I can't wait to come back. We're planning to go this year. They're sad because they know that they're not always going to get to go back. They learned the way. They learned to walk as children of the light. As children of the light. Guys, we don't have to walk in darkness. We don't have to walk in darkness. We don't have to walk in darkness. We can walk as children of the light. Be careful how you walk. The principle of the path. We have to walk before we can sing. We continue on though because in addition to this principle of the path, there's also the promise of the presence. Paul commanded them. This is an imperative. He said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a text of Scripture about God up close. It's a text of, of Scripture about the Spirit of Christ, about the Holy Spirit, about the one whom Jesus promised would never leave us or forsake us, would walk alongside us and lead us into all truth, the one that would travel with us and be present among us. Chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 14, we're taught that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're marked with the Holy Spirit at our salvation that, that we're touched by his presence. In chapter 4, verse 30, we're warned that we can, we can grieve the Holy Spirit, and we're told to don't grieve the Holy Spirit. That's an interesting word, grieve. It's a love word, isn't it? When our enemies die, it's an interesting fact. The darkest among us may even laugh and chuckle. But when those we love and care about, when something happens to them, we grieve, and we grieve deeply. And here is Paul writing, and he's writing with the Spirit of God whispering into, into the deep places of his heart. He said, tell them not to grieve the Spirit. Not to grieve the Spirit. In September, R.T. Kendall will come and, and preach here in this church. For so many years, he was at Westminster Chapel 
in London. He'll come in and speak to the students in Truett. Then he'll come in and, and preach in this church. And he's, he's written two books about this idea of grieving the Spirit of God. Uh, the first one was called The Sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. And, and the more recent one uh, is titled, a much better title, Pigeon Religion. He said that in the Bible, Jesus depicts the Holy Spirit as a dove, a very, a very gentle, a very gentle bird, easily spooked. So there was a missionary couple from his group that went and to serve in Israel, and and as they moved into their little home in Israel, a dove moved in right above the eaves of the window, and they took it as a sign of, uh, uh, just a little wink from God, uh, a little sign of affirmation that the work that they were doing was meaningful to God. But, the, but they began to recognize that every time they slammed a door, the dove would fly away. Every time they would get into a loud argument with one another, the dove would, would fly away. And they had a meeting with each other, husband and wife, a little older than your normal missionary appointees. And they sat down at the table and they said, what do you think about this, this bird, this dove? Oh, I love it. I think it's a sign of God's grace and, and, and his, his presence among us. I think it's great. You notice how often that dove flies off when we act stupid? I'm paraphrasing now, mind you. He said, we're going to have to adjust to the dove because the dove is not going to adjust to us. They began to talk to each other differently. They began to live in a, in a different way. And the presence of the dove changed their relationship with one another. Kendall says that that symbol of the dove is a symbol of, of God's presence in Scripture, of His gentle presence, and of, of His ability to be grieved. And that true spirituality is learn how to walk with God in a way that we have this desire, this burning desire, not to grieve the dove. He said, now pigeons, I mean, he said, pigeons, uh, you, you can do almost anything to a pigeon and you're not going to hurt their feelings. He said his son used to go to the park in London before the mayor ran off the doves and, and he would just, he'd put, he'd put seeds on his arm and the, dove, and the pigeons would just fly on there. As a little boy, I used to chase doves, I mean, pigeons in Jackson Square in New Orleans. You cannot scare a pigeon. They're mean and angry and they'll eat cigarette butts. I've seen it. The symbol of the spirit is not a pigeon, and it's not a grackle bird, a purple grackle. Man, we fought grackles for years. Old John Wood used to get in trouble because people would see him shoot him with a BB gun, you know. He's got my endorsement on that one. They're, they're tough birds. They're tough birds. That's not the symbol of the presence of the spirit. The symbol of the presence of the spirit is the dove. And we're called to not grieve the spirit of God, but to adjust our lives in such a way that the Spirit rests on us. And as we do that, we, we, can, we can respond to this call to be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is to stand before the presence of God, as B.H. Carroll said, the felt presence of God, and offer ourselves in humility to say that we do not have what it takes to do what you have called us to do, God, and to ask God to help and to give us strength and to give us life. And as we ask, Jesus said, if you ask for the Spirit, the Father will not give you a scorpion. Uh, as we ask, God fills us with His power and His grace, and then we're able to do what He has called us to do. B. 
D.H. Carroll also said that the Spirit filling us pushes out of us all those things that don't need to be present. He said, as the Spirit fills us, it's like sap rises in a tree in the springtime, and it pushes off all that is dead, and it brings forth all that is living. And we're called, we're called to recognize the promise of God's presence and walk with Him. There's a principle of the path. There's the promise of the presence. And as the the life of God rises up through us and out of us, a song bursts forth. And it's the song of the redeemed. As we walk with God, as we walk with God, we walk humming a tune. We walk whistling. We walk making a melody. And that's the command of this scripture and that's back to our tattoo verse. This call to sing and make music from our hearts to the Lord. This song that we sing as we come together, it's a song that we sing to one another. It's a song of encouragement. It's a song of life. It's a song where we gather up all these thoughts about God and we offer them to one another as acts of encouragement and love and life. And it's a song to God, an act of praise and worship. There's all, all, almost always is an argument about what music's about. That some people say, well, this is already directly to God, and this is to people. It's both, y'all, and it's right there in one verse of Scripture. You say, who are you singing to in church? We're singing to one another. And we're singing to God. And we're poorer when we divorce those two realities. Sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. Jack Hayford said, God is who he is, whether we confess it, sing it, declare it, or not. Bottom line, God doesn't need our song, and he doesn't need our praise. God is fine without us. His self-esteem is intact. But God takes great delight in us taking great delight in him. God takes great pleasure in us finding pleasure in him. There is, there is this joy in the heart of God as we find our joy in God. And we live that out as we make melody, as we make it, as we make it. It doesn't just catch you, friends. You make it, you build it as we make melody in our heart to him and unto one another. So let's walk with God, let's walk with God, and let's sing to Him and for one another. God, we thank You for a chance to worship in this room today. We thank You for a chance to sing. And Lord, we pray that as we've been reminded to make melody in our heart to You, that we'll recommit our way to, to lives that are, that are songful and soulful. Lord, help us to love and encourage one another. Help us to walk in love. Help us to walk with you uh, in grace and in strength and in truth. God, as we sing this hymn of commitment, I pray that if there's someone in this room who has made commitments in the privacy of their heart but would make them publicly today, I pray that they would come, encourage, and enjoy. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would recommit our way to following you uh, with passion and with delight. Lord, this is our prayer in the strong name of the Trinity, and we say together, amen.
Amen. All right, friends, let's stand and let's sing. And sing this one to God and sing this one to one another uh, and respond as the Lord would lead you. David?